Everything good? Yeah, I just came back from India. I was... Uh, Log Talk Radio. With Berlin, then I got an assignment to go to it. Hello and welcome to today's Saja webcast, your chance to interact with fascinating speakers from across the country and around the world. Please stay tuned for our next session. Hello everyone, welcome to yet another Saja webcast. Saja, the South Asian Journalists Association, and Sama, South Asians in Media, Marketing, and Entertainment, present the latest in our series of high-profile webcasts via blogtalkradio.com. These webcasts are with leading names in global media, arts, entertainment, politics, and so much more. Over the years, we've had conversations with folks like Shah Rukh Khan, Danny Boyle, A.R. Rahman, and so many more. Today, we're going to have a live call-in show about the second-best exotic Marigold Hotel, the sequel to the 2012 hit movie. We'll be joined by Oscar-nominated director John Madden, who also made one of my favorite movies, Shakespeare in Love and The Debt, as well as by actress Tina Desai, who reprises her role of Sunana from the first movie. Hosting the show today are entertainment writer Asim Chabra and Sama co-founder Rajan Shah. Hi, folks. Hi, Sri. Hi, Sri. How are you? Good. Um, I'm Sri Srinivasan. I'm co-founder of Saja, and I'm the chief digital officer at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, where I'm calling in today from. The two co-hosts are actually sitting in... Uh, Midtown Manhattan, and they're part of Media Day for today's movie, and so I guess we're waiting on the arrival of Tina and John, and while they come, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the movie and get the stage set for everyone, so if you're listening live, please tell your friends to tune in. They can just go to blogtalkradio.com slash Saja and listen in on this conversation. Uh, tell us what exactly is going on there, Asim. Um, but I, I think the uh, John and Tina are doing some other interviews right now, but they'll be here any minute now. Um, so Raj and I can talk. Um, okay. So first let me give you a description of the movie as they describe it. It says, following 2012's global blockbuster comedy hit, the lovable cast reunites for the much-awaited follow-up, the second-best exotic Marigold Hotel, which releases in North American theaters this Friday. Stars Judy Dench, Maggie Smith, Dave Patel, Tina Desai, and Let Dubey are all back, along with Richard Gere, who joins the fun for an all-new adventure set in India. Now, you guys are in the movie business. You cover the movie business. For someone outside like me, I knew the movie did well. I loved the first movie, but I didn't know it was going to get a sequel and all these stars are going to come back and Richard Gere was going to be back. What does this say about maybe the, the interest in South Asia, global cinema, etc.? Raj? Well, I think, uh, hi, Sri. I think uh, it was clearly a big surprise in the industry. Uh, the film, the first film, uh, ended up grossing about $140 million, which was far surpassing uh, both their internal expectations, but more importantly, as everyone knows in the movie industry, uh, the revenue and profit are just as important as the art. And in this case, they had spent about $10 million on production of the film. So I think for Fox Searchlight, and I'm sure we'll hear from John and Tina, I think everyone was really surprised at just how successful it was. 
The other, the other thing that was very interesting is that it not only played really well in Europe, which I think they were already expecting, but the film ended up taking in you know, $30, $40 million in the United States and ended up also doing very well in India, which I think, uh, I think most people would expect that to be the case, but the fact is most uh, U.S. films or British films uh, do not end up getting really wide distribution in India, and Bollywood continues to uh, generate most of kind of the ticket sales uh, in, in, in that country. I think from an impact perspective, look, I think this is just part of a continuing story that film is trying to become more global. And I think more and more studios are realizing that the opportunity to generate revenue, not just in America, but abroad, is significant. And it's one of the reasons you're seeing a number of studios begin to even localize major films for, say, the Chinese market or the Indian market or what have you. So I think this is just yet one more step in that evolution uh, and kind of internationalization of film. The only other comment I would add is, and I would love a seams feedback from a creative perspective, you know, we're coming from Sama from a more business perspective, is that uh, what I thought fascinating about, uh, about uh, the film is that while India is certainly a part and almost a character in the film, it's also treated in a way that it's almost a backdrop, which is what I, I enjoyed in particular. I felt like the, at the end of the day, great film starts with a great story. The story could have probably been placed in a number of other countries uh, and would have been very successful. Uh, so I, I really liked the way India was treated at respectfully as a character, but also not focused about India. And I thought that was really fascinating. I think what's really fascinating to me is that, um, and, and John is just walking in, actually. Hi, John. I'm Asim. Hi, Asim. That's Raj. Hi, Raj. Um, hey, John. And Pleasure. we have uh, Shri Srinivasan on the phone. And I was just going to make one comment about the film, and then and, and, and John will talk to you. Do you want me to leave the room? No, no, no. no, no <laughs> we like the film a lot. I think, I think, Shri, what is really fascinating about this film is that clearly there is a market for 60-, 70-year-old actors, and there's an audience for that. If this film made so much money, which means there are people out there who still go to movies, um, you know, something we don't think about in India, for instance. I mean, and, you know, most marketers think about um, – 20 and 30 year olds and the other ones who have the spending power. Well, 20 and 30 year olds, I don't think would have gone to see a Judy Dench film, but there is a lot of people who went to see a Judy Dench film, a lot of people who went to see a Maggie Smith film, and I think this, it, there's something very positive about that. Um, and now that John is here. <laughs> um, John, well, hi, John. This is, John, we just want to let you know you're on, live on the air with the Saja community, the Sama community. These are journalists and uh, folks who work in the entertainment business around the world who are tuned in live to this webcast and will be joined by other people. There's a live call-in show, so people can ask you questions in a few minutes. But for now, we'll just start with a conversation between you, Raj, and Asim, just the three of you in Midtown Manhattan with the whole world kind of listening in uh, as we're talking. I hope that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to say I'm the world's biggest fan of Shakespeare in Love. And uh, we're so glad that you uh, are uh, bringing your love of Shakespeare and what you did there to India and showing our country and our part of the world with as much love and affection as you did to the time of uh, Elizabethan uh, England. Thank you. Well, you know, I, 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 the Shakespearean comedy is the model for the film. I mean, that's, that's, the, that, that's the, the kind of template that we made the film to, actually. So it's not... It's not an accidental um, <laughs> analogy you've drawn there. Great. Thank you. Now over to Asim. So, John, um, 
was what I found very interesting when I learned that the second film is being made and we started watching the trailers. When the first film finished, mm-hmm. uh, most of the characters had kind of settled down in India. One, unfortunately, Tom Wilkinson's character dies. It's very tragic, but it's a beautiful story. One character leaves mm-hmm. India. Um, so the story was finished. Um, and I'm curious about at what stage did Fox come back to you and say, hey, listen, this film's made a lot of money. <laughs> and can you make the additional story? Because the story that you tell in part two is not from the book. No. Okay. Uh, no, no. The first film is an adaptation of uh, Deborah Mogger's book, These Foolish Things. Uh, quite a loose adaptation, it's fair to say. Uh, the Tom Wilkinson character, for example, was not in the original book. Okay. And Sonny Dev Patel's character is, is um, uh, quite different, actually. But um, uh, it's interesting what you say to one thing, which is that um, uh, the, we made the first film as a, you know, an entity unto itself. We had no uh, expectation at all. No expectation at all, no. We... We obviously hoped the film would find an audience in the one that you were talking about as I came into the room, which is the demographic in mm-hmm. the same range mm-hmm. as the characters who, who the story is about primarily. Um, uh, but in fact, the film found a much, much bigger audience than that, not just geographically, but where it, you know, it seemed to work in all sorts of areas that you wouldn't have necessarily have expected or find an audience, but also cross the demographic boundaries. For example, in uh, the UK, at any rate, uh, where obviously the, the major members of the cast are very, very well known, uh, it, it played to much younger audiences than we ever had imagined. So people you know, below 45, for example, or, and indeed younger than that. I'm not saying they were the, what, the drivers of the audience, but they were there. So I think uh, Fox, when we opened the film in the U.S., which was about two months after the U.K. premiere and most, uh, most of the territories uh, had actually um, uh, opened before that, that's when the conversation began about is there a – would there – and they asked us very gently, you know, is there a case for giving an audience a chance to uh, see what's happened to these characters – the word sequel was probably used, and I think I would have been quite—I was quite resistant to that idea because I had no interest in making the same film again, <clears throat> or the, taking the kind of con- concept of it and transferring it somewhere else or something. But uh, Ol Parker, who wrote the screenplay, uh, both films, and I said, "Okay, well, look. In one sense, the film." Uh, you say it, it ends. It, it sort of does end, but I mean, hopefully it resolves itself in the first film uh, up to a point. But of course, it's the beginning of their lives. That's the point. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and they've made a massive choice. The first film is really about cultural collision, isn't it? And the, they've made this very big choice to, to leave one life behind and start another one. And what you see at the end of that first film is them having made the choice, in most cases, to start that new life, except in one, and and in you know, uh, there's some quite big stories that have not yet resolved. So the Bill Nye character, Bill for Nye's example, yeah. and another few Wilton, finally end, you know, a marriage that should have been over 30 years ago, but uh, hasn't quite managed to sort itself out until the, you know, the the catalyzing effect of coming to India. That's a big story, but still, you know, there is a lot of rawness there, a lot of emotional um, baggage 
to deal with, and that becomes, a, you know, something not perhaps what you completely expect when you see the beginning of this one. But um, we found there was just, it was very simple to extrapolate where we were and see what had happened to these characters now that they were living in the culture that they had mm -hmm. just collided with. Um, so we were able to dig into the Indianness of the story more, and um, and I think once we felt that we had a story to tell, then we were quite eager to tell it. Uh, that's how it happened. But it was very fast, as you know. It's three years almost to the day right. since the first film came out. Right. The the two things that um, and I didn't know what to expect out of this film, and I thought in some at times it was even funnier than the first one. Really, um, the two things that I really liked about the film was that uh, were that. A, the, the the British characters, they're very settled in India, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there's something very nice about the fact that they are, ex they, 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 you know, India has taken them in and they've yeah. accepted India, yes. which is rarely you see that in in cinema. And and these people are not like, you know, they've come at a very old age and to adjust to a completely new lifestyle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think that's terrifically done. Um, and then the other thing is um, that there's second chance in life, you know, they're, they're looking for romance and they're looking for... Yes, that's, oh, that's, that's, the, that's the Shakespearean part of it. I mean, you know, I, I, I won't apologize for for the fact that it is, you know, I suppose, I wouldn't use the term romantic comedy, I always use the term melancholy comedy for this, but it has, it, it's the basic kind of stuff of a romantic comedy in the sense that people are searching for kind of resolution of emotional issues, which in all of their cases, because of where they are in their lives, there is a degree of melancholy and accumulated regret and and pain, which they deal with with tremendous humour. But that's what underlies the whole thing. That's the kind of mulch, the the kind of soil that the story grows out of. Um, and uh, and the fact that all of those stories intertwine again, not just in terms of the separate characters, but, but culturally intertwine, is a very, very rich theme to, to um, you know, to, to mine. So, um, uh, you know, I have to say the film, the, the way we wrote the film reflects our own experience in making it. I mean, everybody who was involved in the first film, it doesn't always work out this way. It just loved the experience of doing it and that's tremendously um, has a tremendous amount to do with the experience of the, the British actors and in crew, it was only just a few of our HODs, heads of department went out there and the Indian crew and the Indian actors who came together to make the film that experience informed what we did with the characters in the second film, very much so um, and it's very strange when that happens, when the film that you make reflects the process of how you made it. I was going to add, I imagine that a lot of the core cast from 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 Britain had already had a lot of experience with India. And, my, and I'm just curious about how that may have been reflected in your direction and or in kind of that their love for India kind of being exuded through the film. Well, the, uh, or, and perhaps it, that's not the case. Yeah, well, but, in the first... In the case of the first film, it was not really the case. Okay. Uh, I mean, one or two of the actors had uh, experience of India, 
um, had visited or, or whatever, but not we're not, uh, you know, Tom Wilkinson, for example, whose character in the first film is the real India file who who loves the place and always has since he left it, um, uh, but hasn't come back for reasons obviously we know from the first film. Uh, it had never been to India at all <laughs> and was startled by it for most of the time that we were filming. And Maggie Smith and Judy Dench, had they been before? Uh, Judy had never been. Yeah. Really? No. Huh? no, Maggie had been because I think her son had been filming there and she'd gone to visit him. Um, but by the time we get to the second film, of course, we all had uh, spent a great deal of time there in Rajasthan anyway. And Richard Gere practically lives in India. And Richard Indian. Gere, of course, <laughs> is the one exception to this who, you know, he's very, very, very um, embedded in the culture himself and in the in the country. So, uh, so that was great. But the second film is very much affected by uh, what you're saying, which is that um, there's a profound affection, I think, for the for the country from all of us who were involved in the film. It felt so extraordinarily natural to be going back. Uh, and when we started filming again, it felt like we'd only just, you know, wrapped that scene yesterday, even though it was three years later. It felt so, uh, the sense of continuity was very, very strong. Uh, the other question I was going to ask, John, we were talking before you entered about, again, the surprise around its success. Uh, again, not to say it wasn't a great story, but I don't think anyone was expecting 100, you know, cracking 130 million on a 10 million dollar production budget. Or at least yeah. that was what was reported. What was? I think we would have expected it to be very successful in the UK. I'm really curious to hear your perspective on its reception in India. Were you? Did you have any uh, reservations? Did you assume that it was going to be successful? I don't versus? think I knew, to be honest yeah. with you, and I, I think. Uh, you know, it's taken me probably into the, well into making the second film to understand the cultural landscape into which, let's say, the cinematic landscape into which we fit. Um, uh, I, you know, I think we were presented there as a small art house movie, as far as I know. We didn't have the advantage of going last time, uh, though we are going this time. We, we'll be in Mumbai next, next Friday, yeah. Um, we tomorrow. Uh, and... Uh, so I, did, I was not really completely aware. I don't think it was that widely seen, to be honest with you, in terms of the, um, you know, the the territories and and how well it performed. I don't think it was particularly widely seen in India. I think this one may be more so. Um, but my understanding of that is, and you'll have to tell me whether I'm right or wrong about this, is that. You know, there is Bollywood, which takes up this space, and then there's a very small space over here that is, um, you know, which is, has some fantastic work going on. And, and, well, there's and also a lot of regional cinema, by the way, in the yes, south, and yes, the west, and yes. the east, um, outside of Bollywood. But, yeah, Bollywood is what we hear about because of the noise. Like, exactly, because of the noise, yeah. yeah. And, uh, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot, some of the actors said to me that we would have reached a much wider audience had it been dubbed into Hindi, and maybe that is true, and I kind of... Mm -hmm rather wish that they were doing that this time. I'm not quite sure that they are, though. Um, but you'd have to tell me whether you think that would have been a good idea or not. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, uh, how chaotic is it in India to shoot? Especially when you're shooting in not in a bigger city like Mumbai or Delhi, but you will... Uh, it, most of the film is shot in Udaipur, right? But you didn't uh, no, no, no. In, uh, in Jaipur, okay. uh, we shot, we split the film in terms of our shooting period between Jaipur and Udaipur, because right. the Marigold Hotel 
itself is in a village called Kempur, which is about an hour and a half outside Udaipur. Okay. So we were based in Udaipur okay. when we were filming there. But we did do a tiny bit of shooting in Udaipur. Udaipur was part of the story in the first film. But this one is only set in Jaipur. So, uh, no, we were... Uh, it, it, you know, <laughs> Jaipur is a, a particularly extraordinary city, I think, in terms of the way its agrarian past is colliding with its kind of m more modern, modern. high-tech future. And, uh, and so... You know, the streets are like a metaphor of what's happening to India. Um, fantastic visually, and the, the energy that comes from it is amazing. The, the company that we were working with, India Take One Productions, who specialize in servicing uh, films that come in from outside India, were always saying to me, look, we could control the street. We could clear it and control it. And I'd say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I want to film it like this um and i want it i want to you know thread our story into what's going on here um i mean sometimes obviously it was hard to do that if we had extensive dialogue scenes but by and large we you know we just adopted guerrilla tactics to make sure that we hid ourselves as much as we could in tuk-tuks or whatever we would just to keep ourselves out of the way because the problem you encounter there is there's so much curiosity immediately engendered by the, pr the presence of a camera or the appearance of a camera that everything stops uh, exactly what you don't want to happen happens and then you start to get all kinds of problems with permits because business businesses are saying we've lost money because of this you know and then it gets very complicated and difficult so we had to kind of manage that uh, very carefully, but you know we were wiser this time. I kind of knew what to think the about it and were and yeah, and also there. what to do about locations and yeah. where you know where I could we were constantly wrapping the narrative around what we could and couldn't do, just as we wrapped the first story around the actual you know geographical reality of not geographical the architectural reality of a hotel that we'd chosen um, similarly. Uh, I was just constantly adjusting the story to how I knew I might be able to do it or not be able to do it, just to keep it as organic as possible. Well, I think a lot of credit. I, I think Sri has a, a question coming in. Sorry. Sure. Shree? Actually, uh, John, we, John, we have so many questions coming to you, but we'll just pick a couple of things here. Uh, one person said that they're not so. You, we shouldn't have been surprised at the success of, success of the movie among younger people because, after all, the Golden Girls is something that. A lot of young people watch, and even I remember watching a lot of Golden Girls. So there's something about watching maybe you think like your grandparents' lives in some way. Maybe that is the connection. I, think, I don't know I if you've thought right. about I think, that. I think we discovered that. We, a lot of, um, you know, to some extent, you just described the first film particularly as, you know, a, a lot of old people behaving like teenagers. And um, and I think it's the perspective. It's, oh, my goodness, they think like that, or they feel that, and so forth. And Older people have been ghettoized in so much cinema narratives. You know, they're the comic relief or they're the obstacle to something or they're the pains in the neck or, you know, whatever they are. But their lives are not front and center usually unless it's in a slightly soberer kind of in environment, you know, to do with the depredations of old age and so on. And I we think have a question for you, uh, John, from uh, Stratford-upon-Avon, if you can believe it. Reverend Dr. Paul Edmondson, who's the head of research and knowledge at the St Shakespeare Birthplace Trust, has a question. What okay. is it like to work with, 
with Judy Dench in two places in in both in India and in your first movie in Shakespeare in Love and Elizabeth in England. Which that's not my first movie actually. No, no, I didn't mean your first I movie. I meant the, fir- no, the no, first. No, 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 I didn't mean that. I meant uh, because I worked with Judy in the film before. In that, Mrs. Right? Brown. Brown. Yes. But um, you know, look, I consider myself one of the luckiest men in the business. I've worked with Judy four times now, uh, and uh, you know that's obviously an incredible privilege. Um, because she's unique, uh, as I think the world agrees. I don't know how else you explain her, the effect she has on everybody, no matter where they are. You know, she's a major movie star now. Uh, obviously, J- uh, James Bond's got a lot to do with that in terms of the reach of that. But she hadn't really made a film, well, she hadn't made a film that she was the center of before Mrs. Brown, uh, though she was a legend theatrically, because she has the same effect on audiences in the theater where people, I always uh, tend to characterize as everybody leaning forward in their seat when she appears. Just as some, she has some way of engaging with an audience at some very primal level. And, uh, you know, beyond that, she has extraordinary skills, uh, you know, comic skills and emotion, a sort of emotional transparency that I think is, takes people's breath away. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a priceless resource for me in terms of the stories I've been able to tell with her. It's wonderful. Well, I was just got to admit, also some of the best lines in the film were with uh, with, with Maggie, Maggie, Maggie Smith. Smith. Yeah. Oh, a, 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 an extraordinary person in a completely different way. It has a very similar quality to Judy in the sense that she engages audiences so immediately, but very different in character. But I, I'm going to have to go you, and make you come back. Thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah. Thank you. My thank pleasure. You. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Okay. okay, so Shri, uh, John's leaving, and uh, Tina should be here very soon. Uh, I'm sorry I interrupted Raj. So my main back. question for you guys is, did you get a selfie with him? No. <laughs> uh, I is crying in his uh, chair here. Well, I'm, I'm seeing him this evening again at the museum moving image, so I must get a selfie. Okay, so since I won't be able to see him, you need to get me a selfie of you with him. I'll settle for that. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'm moderating the Q&A at the museum this evening also. Well, let's tell people about that. Where where are you going to be and where can – are the tickets still available? No, I think it's sold out, unfortunately. The Museum of Moving Image in Astoria, it's uh, – Wonderful museum. It's museums in New York City after the Met. Uh, (laughs) The museum dedicated to cinema. So there's a screening of the film there, and um, John and Tina and I think the uh, screenplay writer are going to be there. So I'm moderating the Q&A post-screening. Yeah. You know, one of the comments I was going to make, Shri, uh, when, when John was here, you know, and, and Shri started this thread around uh, the market for films for an older generation, but then translate multi-generationally. You know, there's been a lot of conversation in the marketing and media industry about ageism. And, you know, are companies realizing and uh, really being respectful of the fact that there is an opportunity to cast, to work with, uh, to develop content for uh, a market of adults kind of over the age of 50, 55, and 60. One of the things in the film that John didn't touch on, uh, which is interesting, is that when you think about the cast and the characters who all were kind of dealing with issues of romance, as Asim was talking about, it wasn't just excluded. It wasn't just... Shri, um, we have uh, Tina's here. So, uh, Tina Raj. How are you? Pleasure, Our friend and colleague Shree is on the phone. So, oh, I see. Just coming Hi, to 
Hi, Tina. You're on the air live with uh, people around the world who are excited to meet and hear from you. We're uh, doing a live conversation with Atseem and Raj and you in Midtown, but we have people around the world who are tuned in and will be listening live or later to a recording. So we'd love for you to have a nice conversation with them, but also take questions from people elsewhere. And we'll come back to you and we'll come back to the, those questions in a minute, but we'll start with Asim and Raj. So, Sri, just to wrap up the point, what I thought was really interesting is that the cast uh, and the adults, kind of the senior citizens that are having these romantic relationships, weren't just exclusive to the British characters. There was an, you know, there's the character uh, that is the mother of the sales character who ends up getting attached with Richard G- Gere, who's, uh, who's, you know, her husband had passed away, presumably, and she ends up formulating this romantic relationship well into her 60s. So I thought that was very compelling because I hadn't seen that in Indian films before to see a person of that generation, Indian woman, empowered, a little reluctant to, you know, jump into this relationship. And she did that. So I thought that was very compelling storyline. And in fact, that other thing that we just make a point on this, that sometimes it takes non-Indian cinema with an Indian twist to kind of bring to light relationships that Indians are not used to watching on screen. So, for example, what you just described is exactly the same, I think, that I saw when we went to see um, Monsoon Wedding and you saw a relationship that the uh, household help is having, you know, the Dubé and the, and the, um, uh, the maid. Uh, you don't see those in many Indian movies. So Mira brought that story alive, Asim. You remember talking about that. Hi, folks. Uh, we're just, uh, I think we, we lost the call. They're going to dial back in, I'm sure. And um, we're in the meantime, uh, let's just see if they can get them back here. We're just trying to get them back. You're listening to a conversation uh, with John Madden and now with Tina Desai, the star of the second best exotic Marigold Hotel. Uh, you're listening to a conversation uh, hosted by Saja, South Asian Journalists Association, and Sama, South Asians in Media, Marketing, and Entertainment. And we'll see if we can get them back on the line. I think they're back here. Let's see. Uh, folks, are you back? Tina, are you there? Yes, hi. Hi. We're glad to have you back. Why don't we just, con- uh, Asim, take over. So, uh, Tina, tell us about uh, when you were asked to be in this film again. I mean, I'm sure you had a great time doing the film the first time. I did, yeah. And uh, what did you expect from the new film? You get to dance a lot. <laughs> and you, your character becomes sort of a, more of a central part of the story as such also. Yeah. Um, and you're working in the hotel. So tell us about, uh, you know, when you accepted this, this, this uh, film. Well, I was thrilled to bits because, uh, like you said, the first one was just such a, an absolute joy, right, to shoot for, and one of the best experiences uh, in my life, both personally and professionally, because it changed me a lot. Um, and so when I heard the second one was... Speak up, speak up. Oh, sorry. And so when I heard the second one was happening, I was very happy to come back even as Spot Boy just to be a part of the experience because I love the team a lot. Um, and when I read the script and I saw that I have a bigger part, I was like, I have been nice writer or Parker. 
this has worked out well for me. Um, so I was really happy because it's it's the central plot and everyone's contributing to the wedding. You know, one is hosting the wedding at the at the club that they work at. One is giving the wedding speech. One is writing me a letter about how to deal with Sunny and his um, uh, problems. So I like that it was central. I was afraid of the dancing because I've never danced in my life and I'm very shy and I did not know how I would do it and I did not want to be blacklisted from Bollywood. <laughs> so I stressed a lot about that. I worked a lot on that and now I'm like set for life because I had so much fun with it. Um, yeah, so I'm just I'm just really glad that we got a bonus shot at uh, this team and, and to be able to do it all over again, but bigger and better and more chaotic. How was it from a, you know, for a lot of the Sama members who are mostly on the business side, they're actors, creators, uh, and so forth, what was your experience working with um, a, uh, a non-Indian, mostly a non-Indian cast, a non-Indian director, non-Indian writer? Uh, most of the folks involved were not from India, so what was yeah. your experience uh, from that perspective? Uh, it's actually a half-half team. Uh, half the team is British, and there was the Indian line producers and some sure. of the ADs and the choreographer and makeup assistants. Um, so it was a good mix. You have that familiarity, and and you have the foreignness to it. But this time uh, around, it was a lot more familiar because obviously we knew each other from the first yeah. one, and everyone actually kept in touch with everyone um, in the last three years. We came back as friends, um, not just as work colleagues, and so. Um, uh, and also that mind meld that happens, you know, when, when you know what a director is expecting, like when you read the script, yeah. uh, you know what the writer is intending because you know him as a person now and you understand his writing style and he knows how you are going to play your part because uh, he knows you and you've already enacted the, you know, your part in the first film. Um, so he knows what you're going to do, you know what he wants from you and similarly with the director. Um, so that understanding, of course, brings about a, a maturity when you're doing it the second time round. Um, but yes, because they're culturally different, it's very interesting to see how they um, use the language. You know, as Indians, you use the English language in a certain way, and they use it very differently. And of course, you've watched English films while growing up, but when you're watching it on the spot, when you're watching someone perform, it's somehow very different. You know, so to see the way they deliver their lines, their stress points, their pauses, their uh, punctuation, marks, um, how they work with silences, their body language is very different from what you do as an Indian. So it's very refreshing. It's something that you get to learn. It's very eye-opening because you realize that those possibilities are also there when you do it in future. Um, so it, it's just a, a, a good learning experience when you're exposed to different things. One follow-up, Asim, uh, just to your point on accent, I, it's interesting. We always try to avoid that conversation, but yet somehow it pops up. Uh, I think one of the, the, the things that so many of our members and actors end up facing is this question of how do I play the character and how uh, I deliver an accent or the dialogue. Yeah. So can you just talk a little bit about how that came to life for you and your character, being someone who obviously speaks fluent English but a certain dialect, yeah. speaks Hindi and, and probably a number of Indian dialects. Mm -hmm. So just speak to what that reaction was, or was it just, hey, don't worry about the accent, just play it the way that you know you naturally speak? Yes, that's 
what I got. Because um, I went in for the audition not knowing anything about the project yet because, you know, they don't give you all the information in the first round. So I just went and did it with this, you know, I don't know if it's an, I didn't even know it was an English production. I thought it might be an offbeat, independent Indian film. You know how sometimes yeah. they make English projects? Um, so that's how I went in for it. And, um, and so I obviously used my normal accent. And when I went for the second round with John, it was understood that it's going to be more of the same. Um, so yes, they've never, they've not tried to change it to suit any kind of audience. Um, and yeah, that's yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I mean, she is an English-speaking girl who from India. So obviously, I think they was the one who had to put on an Indian accent. <laughs> in this yeah. case, yeah. In this case, yeah, that's right. Um, because his mother also, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Lilette. Lilette. Dubey is a fine English speaker. I mean, she actually acts a lot in English uh, theater, etc. Stage, yeah, stage. Yeah, stage, yeah. yeah. So uh, clearly, it was a natural self. Yeah. Um, and even Seema's. Uh, Seema doesn't have many lines, but even when she... Oh, Seema no, was the, 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 the maid in the... Yeah, hotel. no, but yeah. actually she was given only Hindi lines, that's right. Yes, so and then the, we got the, the, the subtitles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Maggie Smith speak, tries to speak to her. In Hindi, yeah, that in was priceless. That was terrific. So, you know, I, I should have asked this question from John, but maybe you yeah. can tell us. Yes. The, the, the final uh, grand finale, when you all break down your dance, and of course that's your wedding scene, but, you know, there is Judy Dench and Richard Gere and all of you guys and Bill Nye. All of them are dancing. Yeah. How much? Um, how much did you have to train for that dance sequence? And how much did they have to uh, learn? <laughs> that was a Kodak moment. I think that's a precious <laughs> moment that only John and all would imagine and actually be able to pull off. Uh, one of my favorite film moments in the film. I had lots of time to rehearse for it because I was the first one to start dance rehearsals. After I started, um, there was another character that was supposed to do Kush's part. Um, because there was a visa thing, and then Shazad came in. So I, I would, I practiced first, then the other guy, then Shazad, and last Dave. So I had tons of rehearsals, so I knew what I was doing. Um, of course, it kept changing because Lonji keeps changing the steps. But the senior actors were surprised by it. I think John just threw it upon them so mm. that they don't have time to freak out. They had about, I think, a half hour. So um, I think Diana was a, a little worried. She was like. Uh, but I want to get it right. I want more rehearsal time. And uh, and Judy G was like, you know, let's just, let's just go for it. You know, I don't care what's going to happen. It's supposed to be this impromptu. It's supposed to be natural. Yeah, and it's not supposed to, they're not supposed to know the steps. Um, so some of them were happy to do it. Some of them were frightened. But I think the the energy of the shoot was so infectious. You know, Joom Barabar is a very high energy right, song. Right, right. So you want to come and dance. Uh, and, and they loved it. Like they were gobsmacked when they were watching the performances <laughs> with the, you know, background dances and everything. So they couldn't wait to like join the dance. In fact, John and, you know, Graham were I think also dancing at the monitor on their own. So um, they loved it. They, they just came in and... and um, Richard Gere came in for a little bit of dance rehearsal um, the, the second he got off the plane. He didn't need it, though, because he can do his strumming of the, of the air guitar effortlessly. <laughs> he has style, and so does Bill Nye. Um, Judy was really funny. She started naming the steps. One step was called shampooing the dog, clap that it's over, shampoo. You know, so the names that the foreigners... Exactly, the, the names that the foreigners give changing the light bulb. I love it. it. It just makes it more fun to hear what their take is on each. Yeah, yeah. One of the things we were talking about earlier, Tina, is, you know, from John is getting his perspective on what, one, his expectation was, and then was he surprised by the reaction in India? Yeah. 
talk a little bit about your experience being in this film, which, again, to no uh, disrespect, I don't think anyone was expecting it to be this successful yeah. um, as in what it was globally, mm-hmm. uh, and then going on to a sequel. So what has been the experience for you and the journey uh, in terms of how the reaction has been in India and what it's meant for you? Um, I don't think the reaction... Well, there's a lot of respect for the film across the board. Uh, There's nobody who's watched the film and disliked it, so that's a good thing. Um, In the UK, I always expected it to do really well because, you know, it's a stellar cast and crew, and and, and I know it's a a good, strong script, uh, great humor, also a deep message about life. So I knew it would do well there. I wasn't too sure about the States, but I was somewhat confident that it would do well uh, in the West. India tends to not react very well to a foreigner's perspective of India, so I, I wasn't sure of that reaction. But thankfully, even that is okay. Um, but not many people watched it when it released because it wasn't promoted that much. And, and I think the number of English films that are watched are fewer. I think it's more the Avengers, James Bond that's watched more and less the Marigold types. Uh, but whoever has watched on, say, planes or DVDs or even the pirated version all love it. So I think it's happened more over time than at the time of release. But they all like it. I hope the second one is uh, promoted a little bit more so that there's more awareness because everyone, who, like I said, whoever's watched it likes it. So they should be able to come in and watch the second one now. But only if it's promoted. Uh, and I don't know what the plans are for that. Well, I do know from a Fox Searchlight perspective, for all the international listeners and those in Sama that are, you know, on the television and film industry side, uh, particularly in India, uh, Fox Searchlight has planned for the first time a pretty major premiere, and the, the team is going to be in Mumbai, yes. I believe, yeah, next gonna, week, is that right? There's going to be a screening, and that's big news. Oh, so it's opening the week after? Uh, it's opening 20th March. 20th in March in India, yeah. okay. Yeah. Which is ironic because they, they launched in the UK this past week. Right. Yeah. And, and, and ironically, unseated Fifty Shades of Grey. So the fact that. <laughs> Good for that. The fact that two year olds and romance beat out uh, S&M and uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, I think, is great. Fifty Shades of Grey is one of the most boring films in the world. You watched you Oh, yeah, I read your tweet yeah, about it, of course. I watched it in, 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 yeah. in, in Berlin. Yeah. Tell us about the success of the film and how it's affected your life and your career. And before uh, she does that, sorry to interrupt, guys. Hi, Tina. Just to let people know that uh, we wanted to get a time check from you. How much time do you think you have with us? So then we can calculate how many questions we can get in, both in the studio and from uh, people outside. Ten. Okay. Uh, t- uh, about ten minutes. So we'll, we'll okay, end. Okay, ten minutes. So just after you answer Asim's question, I just want to let people know that we're going to stop the uh, live portion of the webcast, but the entire thing will be recorded and available to everyone when they tune back into blogtalkradio.com slash Saja. So please come back. Please uh, look at the archive recording. And we want to thank very much the folks at uh, Fox Searchlight, as well as Tina Desai and John Madden for uh, this opportunity to share their thoughts with the world here on Saja's and Sama's uh, webcast. And uh, we would love everyone to, I'm sure, uh, we'll have Tina maybe make a pitch to everybody about why they should go see this movie and then answer Asim's question. Okay, so... Um, First pitch why they should see the film. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I think it's something that appeals to all age groups because it gives a universal message of having to celebrate life and live every day that you've been blessed with because if you allow yourself that, you can find happiness and you'll be surprised by what life can give you. Um, and that's something that's important for the older generation because they tend to give up uh, on life and you know just wait for death. And for the younger generation who fears old age. Um, and, you know, just the 
feel-good message of, of hope and positivity is something that is for all age groups. Um, also, there's a lot of humor right through the film, and uh, it, it's got you know really amazing messages peppered right through the film, which is something that's you that you can ponder on without it being too heavy. That's why you should go and watch. And it's a big giant party. It's it's a celebration. And you have a terrific time. Time. And I have a big party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but tell us about how the film has affected uh, me. Uh, yeah. What's what's in the uh, in future for you? Um, I have fun stuff. Uh, I have a, a Netflix series called Sensate by the Wachowskis uh, coming up. I think the release date has been uh, announced. It's June 5th. Uh, and it's a sci-fi thriller drama about eight people from around the world who are completely unrelated and um, find out that they're mentally and emotionally linked and also simultaneously that their souls are being hunted. So it's a very interesting sort of series that uh, has elements of everything, romance, drama, action, comedy, everything. Um, so there's that. In India, I've done a Hindi film called uh, The Shadow with Neil Nitin Mukesh, which is a political thriller. We finished shooting for it. It's in post-production. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the film has helped me a lot internationally. I continue to do the creme de la creme of crap films in Bollywood, but I think I want to specialize in that. <laughs> so, you know, that's going good. I, I didn't give all my love to a film called Table 21, so that ended up doing well. But whenever I uh, give it a lot of love and attention, it does really badly. So I hope to continue with that streak. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you should be really uh, happy. One of the top uh, uh, representation firms, and for their listeners who may not know, India is starting to develop a really robust agency model, which hadn't existed in India as much. So yes. companies like CAA, uh, WME, Kind of, there are companies like that emerging, and one of them is Bling, which is one of the top companies out there. Yes. They are very excited about your uh, career and trajectory. Uh, <laughs> you know, we were talking with them, and they were saying they just believe you're, you have a, a big opportunity ahead of you. Are you hoping to focus more on what, as you described, more smart, um, kind of smart intellectual films and genre films, or are you looking to um, look for kind of that big uh, blockbuster type of film? Can you just talk a little bit about the kind of genres that excite you? I act, I'm, you know, I'm somewhat at the start of my career, so I still have a lot left to do. I haven't done a proper romantic film, I haven't done a horror film, I haven't done an action film, um, I haven't done an Indian comedy. Um, so I have a lot more to do. I know I like drama, I know uh, I like comedy, so I'd like to do a lot more of that as well before I start um, dividing it up and saying this is what I want to do more of. Um, but yes, I do want to do stuff that's a, that's more cere cerebral, that's a lot more intelligent, that's a lot more path-breaking than the run of the mill stuff because I feel that's a little bit more risky um, and I don't feel wholeheartedly about it when I don't do something wholeheartedly then promoting it for 30 days is a giant task so I definitely want to do stuff where the girl has a stronger part and where you don't have to leave your brains at home you know I want to do stuff that makes sense and um, that's unique uh, but that's very challenging actually because um, it can go terribly wrong my first film Ye Fastly is something that I did because it had a brilliant script but it went so wrong in the making uh, because you have Usually the path-breaking or the unique stuff is done by smaller people, and that can go wrong or right. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a very difficult decision trying to choose your next project, but hopefully uh, I can do the stuff that I want to. Um, Shritina has probably uh, just a few minutes, so if you have any questions, um, you want to just uh, pass them on now? Oh, sure. Uh, we have a question uh, from Michelin who asks, um, uh, of, of Tina, your character is the new India in terms of the technology sector and all that cool stuff, but you, your character also runs into family traditions. Did you bring your own experience to this? 
I think everybody in my generation is somewhat like that. You know, we're also culturally inclined. You're brought up, you know, uh, believing and following the culture and the traditions that the rest of your family does, but also because of globalization and um, exposure, you're also someone who's very strong and independent and ambitious and has a mind of your own. Uh, so that balance and that mix kind of exists with everyone that I know in my generation. So it's not something that's uh, uh, hard to understand or relate to. It's, it's something that we all are. Got it. Thanks. Good answer. Thank you. My God. Well, she pulls up the next question for many of the folks listening that are emerging actors. Tina, what what advice would you give uh, based on your experience to date? Uh, those that are either you know just emerging like yourself, or folks that are just starting and thinking about moving into this, the field. I have not the vaguest idea. I'm still trying to crack it myself. Um, what I do think would help is if you have, if you come in well groomed, uh, because you 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 must present your best side. Uh, you should definitely know your strengths and weaknesses, and uh, so that you can work towards bettering your weaknesses. You should be honest about your abilities, because if you fool yourself into thinking you're amazing, there's no way you can change and better yourself. Um, and also to just come in as uh, prepared as possible, because there's so much competition that you have to be able to put your best foot forward so you know to just come in knowing yourself and training yourself as best as possible Great advice. Gina, we have a question about your Twitter handle and your name on Wikipedia. You have two spellings of both Tina and Desai. Can you explain that because you're T E N A D E S A I on Twitter but you spell it differently on screen? No, my spelling is uh, back to the original. It's T I N A D E S A I. My Twitter handle is T E N A D E S A E because um I st- I got onto Twitter at a time when I was so my mother believes in numerology, and she wanted me to change my spelling, and the T-E-N-A-D-S-A-E was based on numerology. But because I don't believe in it, I couldn't you know, survive with that name long enough. I hated my spelling that way. So I came back to my original spelling because, you know, you have to believe in what you do. Um, and now, because I already have a Twitter handle, I can't change it back or it's too complicated, so I'm just going with the flow. But it's now T-I-N-A-D-S-A-I. And your Wikipedia page entry is still the old spelling, so that your your manager needs to get on that. I don't know what to do with Wikipedia. We'll Give me a tree to find me. someone from Wikipedia to yeah. figure out how to Yeah, fix it for me, please. So, Sri, Tina has to leave. So, uh, our major handler standing behind me here. Um, but, Tina, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Had tons of fun. Good evening. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very Sri, thank much. Thank you. See ya. Thanks, guys. Folks, as we wrap up here, we're, we just said goodbye to Tina. I just want to get Asim and Raj to kind of share their thoughts as what this moment means in, in kind of global cinema where you're seeing this movie. There was also The 100-Foot Journey. Some people were confused about what the, between those two movies and other thoughts. So, Raj, we'll start with you and then some final thoughts as well, and then we'll go to Asim. Well, I think two thoughts emerged from Mishri. One, I think, is the one that we spoke about earlier uh, that I was mentioning. I think this is a, yet another step in kind of the globalization of uh, cinema uh, and studios really looking for uh, revenue opportunities everywhere they can get. And I think you can couple that with the Seam's point about studios really seeing that there is a market for uh, tapping films that are relevant to an older demographic as opposed to just focusing kind of on a uh, youth demographic. Uh, so I think that that's one big, big piece for me. I think the second is, and again, maybe this is speaking to Sama, I think we're starting to see 
as these films become successful and you're starting to see more professional uh, positions for South Asians and Indians in the industry overall, and the industry continues to get smaller, their more uh, relationships are built cross-border, it just leads to an ease of being able to get films like this made. Uh, this is not the first time that Fox Searchlight has been involved in India. Uh, the production company that John was speaking about has really uh, become one of the leading you know, production companies in India. Can you remind us the, the name? I didn't quite catch it. I, I, you know what? I'll come back to you on that. It was take. Um, I'll have to come back on that. I can't recall well, the name. It'll be in the uh, the archives. So yeah, but it came up last night when when I was with, uh, with Dilly Hussein, who who was Anadil Hussein, who was actually going to be moderating this for Sama, but couldn't join. But she was even talking about this production company being known. Uh, quite well in, in India, so and, and operating at a very professional level. So I think as, as the industry starts to get smaller, we start seeing quality levels increase. We see the studios starting to see the revenue potential. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see uh, more films uh, like this pop up. You know, when, thank when, you. When, and uh, anything you want to tell us about Sama in the weeks and months ahead? Well, I, I think the, the main thing to continue to, to drive home from a Sama perspective is we're obviously really excited about uh, the continued growth of films like this and the continued growth of South Asians in senior positions around the country, the most recent being uh, Vinnie Malotra, who was just named uh, SVP uh, and head of content and acquisition at, at CNN, uh, which is really terrific news uh, being appointed by Jeff Zucker. Uh, we obviously are looking forward to our biannual conference to be held at Time Warner. Uh, and we're uh, planning that as we speak for the fall this year. And we're just going to be building out the team very shortly here. So we're, we're really excited to see what's happening out there. And, and volunteers that are interested should reach out to, uh, to Sama, and uh, we'll get you involved for a conference coming up. And I'm in my office at the Met, uh, Raj, I'm looking at a photo of me, Vinnie Malhotra, and Peter Jennings from a Saja conference a few years ago. And it's just so amazing that this young man is now such a senior executive at uh, CNN. It's uh, wonderful. And uh, he can play both uh, Sama and Saja roles for us going forward. Thanks That's very right. much, Raj. Right. And folks, please check out our archives. We have so many great Sama-Saja conversations, including with Danny Boyle, who had, of course, the uh, the last big Indian success movie, uh, successful movie with a or India American uh, India English international success with Slumdog Millionaire. Let's go to Asim, who was the first person ever to mention Slumdog Millionaire to me, and he told me this was going to be a big hit. So, Shriek, um, let's uh, very briefly. You know, when Slumdog Millionaire became such a huge success. Um, there was a lot of interest in India, and there were a lot of filmmakers, and there was, you know, all shape, uh, and you know, so many people were sort of, you know, going to India to make uh, films. Um, not all of that panned out really well. I mean, India's state of interest, but you know, the, the script had to. Be, it's not like Hollywood said every film we'll make is going to be about India. Um, it was not India that was selling. It was the style in which Slumdog was made that was selling. Um, and we know the people who really benefited out of Slumdog. It was Sridhar Pinto who benefited a lot from it. It was Dev Patel who has a huge, very big career. Frida's career went really well, and I, I think it may be sort of like halting a little bit probably. Um, A.R. Rahman benefited a lot from it. Um, he got uh, next Danny Boyle film, and he's had a few other Hollywood uh, projects also, and now he's sort of considered like a player in Hollywood itself. Um, but 
but you know, over a period, Anil Kapoor, yes, and, and Irfan, uh, all of the main actors really benefited a lot from Slumdog, really. Um, but if you look at it, I mean, since Slumdog, and I can't think of all the other films, I mean, there was, the, uh, the, of course, 100 Foot, uh, Foot Journey, you said. Um, these two, um, the Marigold Hotel 1 and 2, and then there was the, um, the, uh, the, the, the Million Dollar Arm, which didn't do really well for uh, Disney, and ARM did the music for that. I mean, so there, there will always be a trickling of interest in India. I'm, I'm not saying, uh, and, and, and it has become easier for Hollywood film production companies to go to India, British uh, production companies to go to India, because um, there is there's all these facilities available for them to be able to shoot and make films in India. Um, it'll always be there. I don't think India is the number one location for Hollywood, certainly. I don't think that's going to happen in the near future. Um, but a film like this does great for Indian tourism, I think. I mean, you know, uh, Rajasthan, Jaipur looks very pretty. There's some scenes in Mumbai, some of the hotels look very pretty. Um, the British actors are wearing, the, the, the women especially are wearing Indian clothes. They look lovely in those Indian clothes. So in, some, in a lot of ways, the film will help India. Um, Yes, Raj. That's awesome. I, thank I, you. Uh, thank I you, Asim. We're going to wrap up this conversation. Sorry, did you have a response, Raj? No, Asim was just asking me what I thought, and I was just going to say I completely agree. Uh, and, and, again, I just want to go back to the point that I think that, you know, we heard this at the last Sama conference, and I think it's very true. It all starts with a story. And the more you can have South Asian writers, whether they're here, whether they're in the U.K. or they're, they're in India, working with other writers to develop stories with India as a backdrop or as a theme or involving Indian actors, uh, I think we're going to continue to see uh, kind of these kinds of films really succeed. And, the, and let's not discount the financial uh, aspect here. A lot of these studios are, are developing relationships with studios in India for a specific reason, is that they can develop highly profitable films. And someone told me once that you'd rather do these hundred million dollar films made on a ten or fifteen million dollar budget than trying to, you know, put two hundred million dollars into a film trying to generate five hundred million. Quite frankly, this is the way of the future. So I think uh, there's a lot of opportunity there. Perfect. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much and thanks to everyone who listens to our Saja webcast both live and in the archives. We've had more than two million people listen to our uh, shows over the last several years. We're very grateful to blogtalkradio.com for letting us have this great, great platform. Thanks very much, everybody. Please check us okay. out on Blog Talk Radio and keep in touch as we uh, go out here with our usual ending uh, little piece of audio. Thanks very much, everybody. Goodbye. You've been listening to a Saja webcast. You can catch all our activities at saja.org and sajaforum.org. Our email is saja at columbia.edu. We'll leave you with the musical stylings of Cooper Madison of coopermadison.com.